0: Businesses raise prices when their inputs uh, become more expensive, whether that's employer employees. Uh, the employment cost index has risen substantially over the last couple of years. Whether that's raw materials or intermediate goods or finished goods in the case of a retailer, uh, when the prices that they're paying for the things that they're providing to people go up, they have to raise prices in order to remain going concerns. They have to make a
1: profit to stay in business, at least over the long run. That is Kurt Couchman, I'm Dwayne Lester and this is Top Priority. Tell me about your background, because I was impressed when I when I, I read it.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Uh, my background is essentially government affairs and working on Capitol Hill. Um, I have a master's in economics from George Mason University. Uh, I wanted to get the master's degree because a PhD would be an overinvestment, given that I want to do policy things and all the, the sophisticated mathematics that you focus on in a PhD program just didn't make sense for what I wanted to do. So I spent... Uh, Six years on Capitol Hill, uh, worked for Congressman Justin Amash uh, for four years. And that was kind of almost like an apprenticeship in applied statutory law, right? I'm not a lawyer, I'm an economist, but uh, we read and understood every bill or amendment or anything before he would take an official position. I worked for Dave Bratt, congressman from uh, Virginia after that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've kind of bopped around different uh, organizations. I started my career doing um, in corporate government affairs uh, for Sunoco and Air Products and Chemicals. And then I have done government affairs with the Cato Institute um, with Defense Priorities, which is a, um, a realist and restraint focused foreign policy organization. And then immediately before coming here, I was at the Committee for a Responsible, committee for a responsible Federal Budget. Everybody uh, miffs that name, and now I've done it.
1: So. <laughs> so you were doing foreign policy, but now you're more economic policy.
0: Yeah, I, I had kind of a—I don't know if I want to call it a diversion, but um, I was basically recruited out of Congressman Bratt's office uh, to do the, the policy side of, of that organization, Uh, And uh, it was really attractive, really interesting, great group of people there, um, fantastic work that they're doing. I just found that I kept wanting to do more of like the economics uh, pieces of foreign policy, trade, sanctions, economic development and growth, uh, and then kind of how the, the budgetary situation Um, affects our foreign policy. Right now, everything's kind of unbounded. And so we have a very undisciplined foreign policy. And just sort of seeing that my interest kept gravitating back in the budget and economic direction, I realized that that's what I really should be spending my time on rather than thinking about the strategic uh, and tactical questions that are, are really core to defense priorities. But, uh, you know, fantastic people, great organization. Um, it just wasn't the right fit for me.
1: There is so much that you just said that my mind started going down so many different rabbit holes. And that's that's the danger in this, is that you'll say something, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, let's talk about foreign aid. Let's talk about that. And we can't, because we're here to talk about one thing, and that's something that's really hitting every American right now, mm-hmm. and that's inflation, and. I guess the first thing I need to, to understand is what is inflation? What are we talking about there when we say that?
0: Inflation is the reduction in the value of the dollar. Uh, it happens when you've got more money uh, than output. In other words, your your money supply, uh, to use the term, is growing faster than your economy is. If, you're, if you're, the amount of money in the economy is growing at the same rate, as the actual output of goods and services, then you don't have inflation. You don't have deflation either. You have a constant price level. That doesn't mean that um, prices aren't changing uh, all the time. You know, uh, we have a a price system focused economy um, where that helps us. Um, make decisions about what the best ways to create value for each other uh, might be uh, because we see the price signals and we see that oh this thing is becoming more expensive if you're a producer that means you need to maybe look for alternatives if you're a consumer same sort of thing you make different choices as the prices change but um, the prices are always changing for different uh, goods and services. It's just that when the overall level of prices is rising, um, the inflation and in, uh, the price level that's that's what inflation
1: is. so when did inflation really start getting bad to where people were talking about it quite a bit. I know there were rumblings, mm-hmm. but then when did it when did it really hit, and what do you think I mean what do you think was the main cause of that?
0: Yeah, the current bout of inflation really started kicking off in January, February. Uh, or maybe March of 2021, um, the Fed has had a long practice of favoring uh, inflation target of about two percent. It'd been a little bit below that in the previous years, uh, not only because of the pandemic, but even before that. And then um, Congress just kept spending and spending and spending and borrowing, um, and so the Federal Reserve bought up a lot of that debt. And when they did that, they increased their monetary base substantially. So uh, the monetary base times the amount of time that the money turns over in the economy. That's what gives you your overall money uh, floating around the economy. What does that
1: mean, turns over?
0: Uh, the term is velocity of money, but that means that, like, when you spend um, your, the money from your paycheck, it kind of cycles through, you know, goes to the, the people that you're buying things from and they use it to pay uh, the people, that their suppliers, and, and so on and so forth. And the um, the how they... Actually, calculate the monetary velocity. I I don't know. I haven't dug into that, but um, there is a rate at which the money turns over in the economy.
1: Sorry, I, I didn't mean to <laughs> break your your train of thought there. But I just I heard that and I was like, I don't I don't know what that means. What that means to cycle through. So this started in about you said twenty twenty one. Yeah, I can't help but think that that was right after a year a year of of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure. Quantitative easing was a part of this, but how much was the the just the cash that just the federal government kept pumping out? How big of of an issue was that?
0: That was a big part of it. I mean, there's only so much that the Fed can put on its balance sheet before it starts to have inflationary impacts. Um, we also expected this to happen uh, during the Great Recession in 2008. Uh, but the Fed uh, started using a tool that they'd never used before. It had been in the law, I think, since the Great Depression. But it's the practice of paying interest on reserves. So basically, they can buy up a bunch of assets. Um, and then that ends up putting uh, reserves in the bank's uh, books as well. And it, then
1: Is that called monetizing the debt?
0: were not quite there yet, okay, but okay. we will be. Sorry, And then they pay the interest on reserves to keep the banks from going out and lending that money and, and turning that high-powered money, the base money, into, you know, overall money. Um, so they were able to keep a lid on it for a while, from about 2008 all the way up until early 2021. But at some point, the amount of borrowing that Congress had done, and the White House, uh, under both administrations, and... Uh, and the amount of that, that increased the monetary supply just became too much to sterilize through interest on reserves. And it, it just sort of got
1: away from us at that point. So one thing that I've heard is that this isn't inflation, this is just corporate greed. And <laughs> I, I know you've heard this as well. And I think one of the the main points that really helps people see the difference here is that corporate greed, You let's say that there's corporate greed out here, you could have, let's say, Walmart's getting greedy, or Target, or you know mm-hmm. Joe's thrift store, whatever. They can raise the prices on all their goods. A manufacturer can raise the price on all their goods. It would be very, very difficult for everyone across the board to raise the prices on everything. And it, mm-hmm. it's my understanding, inflation is when you see an increase in price in all goods. Is That's that right. is that accurate?
0: That's right. It's not like corporations suddenly became greedy. I mean, the human... Um, situation is that most of us are at least a little bit greedy. Some people are a lot more than others. Um, so it's not like in the middle of the pandemic they just became greedier. Like that's a silly thing for people to say, but that's politics. Everybody's always looking for something that sounds a little bit plausible to deflect blame from themselves. Um, so no, I mean uh, businesses raise prices when their inputs uh, become more expensive, whether that's employer employees. Uh, the employment cost index has risen substantially over the last couple of years, whether that's raw materials or intermediate goods or finished goods in the case of a retailer. Uh, when the prices that they're paying for the things that they're providing to people go up, they have to raise prices in order to remain going concerns. They have to make a profit to stay in business, at least over the long run.
1: So Milton Friedman has up here, I got a quote from him up, up here. It says Inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon in the sense that it is and can be produced only by a more rapid increase in the quantity of money than in output. Help me understand that like I'm a a third grader. Okay, there's two
0: pieces here. Output is all the stuff that's produced in the economy. We're mostly a services economy now. Um, But there is manufacturing, of course. But those two things combined, that's that's all of the value that's created um, by the economy in a year. If that is growing strongly... Even if the monetary supply is growing strongly, there won't be inflation. Um, but if you have a suppression in economic activity, whether from a pandemic or from a regulatory onslaught or from some other factor, uh, then you can actually you know,
1: reduce your economic growth rate. So hypothetically speaking, if you were to have governments across the country say that you had to stay home and that you couldn't go out and run your business that you'd been running, that would be a suppression of output.
0: Absolutely. Yep. No question about that. Um, it's interesting, though, that the uh, inflation didn't really get going until the economy started opening back up once people were starting to get vaccinated. That's right when it started kicking off. And I think a lot of people, you know, they got all this money from the stimulus checks and all that. The local governments and state governments got all this money. And some of it was spent on public health measures and all that. But a lot of it just sat there because people were scared. People were uncertain about what the future held. And so, um, it sort of, the pressure built up. And then again, um, after the, um, the American Rescue Plan Act in March 2021, like that's when it really seemed to kick off. But it was a, a couple of different things going on. It was the buildup of all these cash reserves that households and governments had um, combined with um, people getting back out into the world. Uh, and so th- I think that's when it started kicking off at that point. Um, but the other piece of Milton Friedman's thing is the quantity of money. And that's you know the government borrowing so much money, the Federal Reserve buying so much of that debt, expanding the money supply. Um, and then, of course, with interest rates being rock bottom, so much of that got turned into asset, asset price increases. We saw home prices that went up by, I think it was like 41% from right before the pandemic until a few months ago. Uh, That's insane. And we saw uh, bubbles, I would call them bubbles at least, in cryptocurrencies in particular, but stock markets generally. I know my stock portfolio went way up and then came down a bit. Um, But we see that across the board in terms of assets. There's huge price inflation in assets. So there's kind of a combination of asset price inflation and the actual prices of goods and services, which are not entirely distinct. Um, but that—that's just caused by the the amount of money sloshing around being way more than the actual increase in goods and services.
1: So another quote, this one from '74, um, Milton Friedman again: Inflation is created by government and no one else. You'd disagree or agree with that? Totally agree.
0: I mean um, the. The output side of things, there's a bunch of things going on there, but the money side of things is 100% up to government. Um, Congress is borrowing too much, has borrowed too much. Um, the Federal Reserve, um, maybe if they didn't buy so much of the debt, then we wouldn't have had the inflation. But there comes a point when there's so much debt floating around out there that like, who's going to buy it if not the Fed? I mean, the markets for federal debt may be close to saturation and. Um, I haven't heard anyone at the Fed confirm this, of course they wouldn't, but uh, my sense is that they feared that the markets for federal debt were becoming saturated and they had to step in or else you know we could be risking a fiscal crisis on top of the
1: pandemic crisis. And, and that, of course, is something we want to avoid desperately. So how is it now? I mean, compared to when it started, um, it got worse, of course. How's it looking right now? Inflation? Inflation. It uh, does seem
0: to have uh, come down a little bit. Uh, core inflation is still far too high. That's excluding energy and food prices because those are so volatile. Um, but, you know, over the last year, uh, we've still seen that core inflation has gone up by 6%. What does, that, what does that mean, core inflation? So core inflation is not counting food and energy okay, okay, because those sorry. are volatile. Um, and if you if you agree with the Fed that we should have a kind of a standing 2%, um, inflation rate. Um, and they have reasons for it, which may or may not be persuasive. But uh, we're talking about at least four percent excess inflation across everyone in the economy. And of course, depending on your personal circumstances, you know your own personal um, lived inflation rate can be a lot higher. Like if you have Gone from one rental apartment to another, then it could be much much higher than say me who I've had the same mortgage for years, and my mortgage didn't increase at all. but so like when you see an eleven percent increase in housing prices, that's averaging everyone. so for me, no change in nominal terms, but for someone else that's moving from one rental to another, it could be double or triple that or t- double or triple the the uh, the housing inflation rate
1: over that period. I can't remember where I read it. I know I read it somewhere. And I can't remember who said it. Uh, but I I think the quote was that inflation is the most nefarious form of taxation there is. Inflation is a tax, then. Is that, inflation would is a tax. H- help me understand that.
0: There's a couple of different uh, pieces of that. So the the there's three ways the government can get money, right? There's actually... Uh, taxing people, you know, a certain percentage of your income, your payroll, etc. Um, there is uh, borrowing, which is you know future taxes, and inflation is insidious because it applies to everyone, everywhere, um, and it does so in a way that kind of muddles the price system that we need to allocate resources. Uh, when you see prices going up, it's hard to to tell if, you know, the price of, I don't know, copper or something is going up relative to other things, or if everything's kind of going up together. Uh, and as a business person, you have to make these decisions about like where to make your investments, uh, where to, what products to produce. Uh, and then when you're dealing with um, the relative price changes in addition to inflation, it makes it really, really hard uh, to plan that. And so you kind of pull back and that you know, reduces job opportunities for the people that could otherwise work in that. Uh, For um, people that are retired, people on fixed incomes, um, fixed nominal incomes, their money is basically being stolen by the government. And people will say, oh, well, you know, the Social Security cost of living adjustment, the COLA, is the largest that it's ever been. It just started. And, um, well, that's because inflation is the largest it's been in a generation.
1: Yeah, I believe someone tweeted that out recently, didn't yeah. they? Had and it's a lagging down.
0: thing. So like your income, like if you're on Social Security, um, you know, let's just to make the math easy, let's say that you're getting $10,000 or $12,000 a year, so $1,000 a month, and then um, inflation comes along, and let's say it's been, you know, 10% over the last year. Well, now it's only worth your $1,000 a month is only worth $900 a month. And... That's the case until they kick you back up to what in inflation adjusted terms is back to the $1,000 dollars a month. Um, but in the meantime, like you've lost a lot of purchasing power and you've probably had to dig into your savings, you've had to scale back engagements uh, with your friends. I mean there's a lot of things that you lose. It's not just the money, it's all the things that money enable that you're losing in the meantime. it's
1: it's such a complex such a complex, um... Subject and I guess I, one thing I'm struggling with is how do you even fix this? Mm-hmm. Before we get to that, though, the, something I was thinking about is is there's a lot of people out there who are naysayers about whether this is actually inflation, and I don't know. I, I'm assuming this is politically driven. They don't want they don't want harm one person over another or one party over another. So what do you say to folks who are out there saying this isn't so much inflation, but this is a result of of supply chain issues, of, of pandemic, this isn't inflation, this is something else.
0: Those are all factors, um, but they're not as distinct as people like to pretend. I mean, part of the reason why we had supply chain disruptions uh, is because There was a lot of money that the government threw out into the economy. And so people, you know, bought a bunch of stuff. Home Depot, I I went there one time, and there was like no pressure treated lumber on the shelves because people were doing their decks and all the outdoor projects because they had time and money on their hands uh, from the the stimulus checks. There
1: is supply and demand issues, and that's going to affect prices because that's how prices work. Sure. But this is. This is a much bigger issue in that it's affecting everything.
0: Yeah, supply and demand, we always have with us, there's always prices moving up and down. But when you see all the prices rising together, we've had inflation. Um, Part of the reason why we had so many supply disruptions is because uh, in some of the pandemic response legislation, they actually paid people, some people, more to stay at home and collect bonus unemployment checks than to actually go back to work. Um, Now, there's a role for unemployment, but you have to be aware of the the incentive effects when you're creating any public policy. And there are just a lot of people that, um, you know, they get 100% leisure time, plus more money than they were actually getting from working. Uh, And so that's a recipe for people making the completely understandable decision to just have some time off. I get it. Um, But that's not good public
1: policy. So let's say that they they come out and they say, "Okay, uh, Kurt, we need you to fix this. You know, what, what, are, what are some of the things you're going to do first? So
0: it's going to resolve itself over time as long as, long as Congress stops adding to the debt. Um, I do think that the inflation rate, now we've seen signs that it is starting to come down uh, compared to the peaks. Um, it'll probably run for another year or two, I would guess. Um, But at lower and lower levels until we get back to around a 2% uh, inflation target. But again, that's contingent on Congress not continuing to add to the debt. Uh, Under the last Congress, the one that uh, has just ended, um, they kept adding to it. They did the American Rescue Plan Act. They did the the infrastructure bill. um, They did two omnibuses that had a lot of extra spending in it. There was the Chips Act that uh, you know subsidies to semiconductor producers, um, and there are other things as well. So they need to stop adding to the debt, so the Federal Reserve can start to reduce its balance sheet. Um, They are planning to reduce their nine trillion dollar asset um, amount by about a trillion dollars a year. So it'll take them about four or five years to get back to where they were before the pandemic. And if they were to continue doing that, it would probably take them a decade to get back to where they were before the 2008 financial crisis. Um, but we need the the money supply to get back in line with the economy. We don't need to go back to a money supply for the pre-pandemic economy. We just need to like stop the inflation now. Uh, I think it would actually be more disruptive to try to return to the, the pre-pandemic price level. We just need to sort of take our lumps and, and move on. But in the long run, if we don't, uh, fix the way that Congress budgets, then this is going to be a recurring problem. Uh, we, when governments get really desperate for uh, borrowing or for, for getting money, uh, they have resorted to the printing press. Um, we've seen hyperinflation in some particularly poorly managed countries. Back in the 1920s, there was Weimar Germany, uh, Venezuela, Zimbabwe. Uh, I don't think we're anywhere close to that, but um, the reality is, once governments start getting desperate and aren't willing to make those fiscal trade-offs to get the bu- the budget back into some semblance of order and responsibility, then um, that becomes the the easiest thing to do. And then, of course, they can the members of Congress can blame the Federal Reserve, um, but the Federal Reserve kind of gets backed into a new corner there. So, in order to prevent that from happening and being a much worse inflationary crisis than what we've experienced over the last couple of years. We really need Congress to figure out how to budget better, and that's that's what I specialize
1: in. Tell me about what happened in Zimbabwe and in the Weimar Republic, because I remember not that long ago seeing people uh, like heating their homes with bricks of money mm-hmm. in Zimbabwe. It was just, and I think I've seen the same thing in Venezuela. What's what's happening there? What's caused that? Are we looking at the similar thing here? And and is there a danger of hyperinflation in the United States?
0: Well, what happened in those countries was that they, they just kept devaluing, debasing the currency. Um, they would just stick zeros on the ends of bills. And uh, you know, it got to the point where people would you know buy groceries with a, a wheelbarrow full of, of bills. And they, be, they became literally worthless. I think I saw a $1 trillion Zimbabwean note a couple years ago. Uh, which was not worth very much. Wow. <laughs> so um, that's a really bad situation. Um, I don't think we are likely to experience that in the near term, and I think we have a a pretty important window right now to start getting things on the right track. Um, but look, we're not we're America, but we're not immune to the laws of economics, the laws of finance. If we don't fix this problem sooner or later, really bad things will happen. We'll have more inflation. Um we could have a debt default and with the the US dollar being the foundation of the international uh, financial sector, um, that would be devastating, not just for us, but for people all around the world. And then, I mean, you play that out and you think about the national security implications about um, you know what kind of overseas presence, whether or not we should have one, uh, what kind of overseas presence we we, we would, we would change, and it could happen very quickly. We could go from what we're doing now to something very different, and that could leave you know security vacuums in other countries that were currently um, buttressing their defenses might not react in the, the healthiest way possible. So, like you can imagine some, some scenarios that would uh, almost spin out of control um, if we got to the, the point where um, you know the U.S. started experiencing really high inflation. I don't want to call it hyperinflation, but um, you know if we're the guarantor of international global security and we're going off the rails then that's not a great sign for international global security right
1: no no, no not even remotely uh, i was thinking back to earlier discussion where we were talking about this happened the inflation really started in in 2021 this isn't i guess this isn't a partisan issue because a lot of what we saw in 2021 is because of actions that were taken by the previous administration and this really isn't this is this is a matter of just understanding economics how the world works Mm -hmm. and applying solid policy being responsible and government staying in its proper role
0: that's right it is a bipartisan problem i mean the the federal borrowing has um, been too much under republican and democratic presidents uh, under republican and democratic houses and senates uh, I, I do think the American Rescue Plan Act, which was only passed with the Democratic support, was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. But there was a lot of straw on the camel's back leading up to that point, and that, yeah, was that wasn't the first piece <laughs> of straw. Right. <laughs> That's right. Um, to get out of it, uh, it's going to have to be bipartisan as well. And so we need to fix the budget. Uh, we need to grow the economy by, you know, right-sizing and, and revising some regulations, especially in the energy sector, but all across the board. And... Um some of these things are uh, easier not to do in a bipartisan way, but uh, the budget uh, reforms that we really need are things that uh, either do or would have uh, broad bipartisan support. Some of these things are already being done by other countries. Some of these things are already being done in the states, uh, and not just so-called red states, but red, purple, and blue, however you want to characterize that, um, by by social welfare democracies abroad, as well as by you know uh, countries that we might consider to be Uh, I don't know, a little more fiscally prudent, so, um, you know, adapting those lessons and making them available for Congress is an important way for us to start getting back on the right track and uh, controlling the debt isn't just about inflation. There's a lot of other reasons why we need to do that Uh, and help Congress and government generally um, be thinking about, you know, what are the trade-offs between policies and how do we really create value for the people that we
1: serve? This has been Top Priority, a production of the Americans for Prosperity Foundation. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll take the time to subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, take the time to leave a review. Until next time, take care and we'll see you then.